Well, guess what? Let's recommend to listeners to give themselves the gift of health and wellness throughout the entire year with AG1. Yeah, Athletic Greens, AG1. You know what? Vitality, youth, Ponce de Leon. We're all searching for it. Um, and AG1 at least gets us halfway there or gets us closer. I know that uh, my wife and I and my uh, house guests, we drink it each and every day. AG1, it's part of our routine, bros. Gets us there for me before 7 a.m. even. First, one of the first things I do in the morning, mix one scoop of powder with eight ounces of water, covers my nutrition and dietary kind of uh, needs throughout the course of the day. So I check that box, move throughout my day and eat um, without having to map out a diet to make sure that I get all the supplements and vegetables and all that sort of stuff. So support us, find optimal health, go through our portal, which is athleticgreens.com slash surf. And then also we've got NVS Fins with us today, Scott. We're riding NVS Fins all the time, but they're here with us on our podcast, Naked Viking Fins. Yeah, you know, um, just yesterday out in the water, I had a guy asking me about my Ryan Sakel Sabre twin fin, and I and we got into a deep dive on the fins, the sea drive fins, which are um, sort of have a spacey kind of an odd look to them. And they usually get people's attention. And so we went in a, a cool little discussion about those fins. Um, <clears throat> yeah, NVS, Naked Vikings. Um, a big fan, Naked Viking Surf Fins. Yes, NVS. Yeah, yeah. SurfNVS.com is their website. And uh, their Apex Series fins are made out of that G10 technology. And you can find them in any um, size and configuration, single fins, twins, quads, tries, all that sort of stuff. So go to surfnvs.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail, a clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was gonna spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. You know what? It's time for spit. It is uh, David Lee Scales, Scott Bass. We're talking all things surf and a few other things as well. And it's in the afternoon, David, which is um, a little odd for you and I. Um, I've got some athletic greens in my system. I should be. <laughs> I should be on top of my game and uh we shall see i have questions for you though uh christmas related questions no oh. no i got your card though thank you very much we we appreciated your card it was, it was a lovely card thank you you're welcome and um no my questions for you are about the recent podcast that you've done so you did one with oh, lane davy yes that's right and um and I see it out there on Instagram. And of course, we talked about it last week. But it seems like you're getting a lot of really positive feedback about the Lane Davy podcast that you did on Surf Splendor, and specifically about the um, hierarchy or lack thereof at Pipeline and Locations Beyond. Yeah, I think it's a relevant conversation now more than ever. Um, what's surprising is that 
there always used to be respect for the hierarchy and an inherent knowing that the hierarchy serves a purpose. The hierarchy ensures that everybody has a turn and gets a chance and learns the way to get waves and all that sort of thing. And so it's understandable that the hierarchy would break down a little bit as it gets more crowded. What's shocking is that the new surfers don't understand that the hierarchy was in place for a reason. It seems like the newer surfers think that the hierarchy is somehow um, elitist, you know, and it's meant to not allow people who are new to get waves as opposed to teaching them how to get waves. And so I think that's what's shocking. And Lane did a phenomenal job of um, explaining the virtues inherent in it, you know, that it was, it, it taught her lessons, not only about surfing, but lessons about life uh, that she uses daily that she wouldn't have learned elsewhere. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, um, when I think about my own personal experience with, said hierarchy i will raise my hand and acknowledge that i'm not sure i was motivated about teaching anybody the right and wrong way to do this thing i would suggest to you that there was more than um, a handful of surfers are the worst moments where i was stoked on the hierarchy solely for self-serving purposes and that it would allow me because i put in my time to sort of um you know, edge people out. Um, So I think it's crucial for this conversation to be, to have some transparency because it's this really weird quagmire, you know, Um, you know, surfing, catching limited resources, i.e. waves is a selfish pursuit, or at least it is in in my case, I can't speak for everyone else listening, but, um, you know, it's rare that, you see somebody suiting up, putting on their leash and going, yeah, I can't wait to, I'm glad there's a hierarchy out there because I want to teach everybody how it's done. My experience is I'm glad there's a hierarchy and that I'm in it somewhere. And that means that I'm going to potentially, you know, because I've paid some dues, I'm going to get some waves. In other words, I think it's a little like almost fake altruism to suggest that Oh, the hierarchy's there, so we can help you show you how it's done. I'm calling kind of bullshit on that. I don't think it's altruistic, um, but I don't think it's fake either. Like the way that I see it is, if uh, it keeps everybody sharp. So if the young buck comes into the lineup and they're not getting set waves, they're relegated down to the inside and they learn how to surf those crappy waves, and they learn how to surf them actually so effectively and efficiently, it becomes, uh, it keeps me on my A game because now I'm like, shoot, they're surfing better than I am on a set wave. I kind of need to level up. And then they are getting gaining respect in the lineup. So now they're shoulder to shoulder with me on the outside and they're jockeying probably for position now. So it's pushing me deep. And then, you know what I mean? So now I have to... Uh, either assert my alpha male kind of dominance in that situation and then get shut out, shut down because I'm not as alpha as I think I am or actually surf better and outposition him. So I think it just keeps everybody sharp and it keeps everything honest, basically. No, I totally agree. I'm not, I'm not doubting the, the power of it or that it's valid. I'm just saying that 
I don't, when I look at the, the hierarchy that's in the water, I don't look at it like, I'm glad it exists because it's going to teach people about how it works out here. I see it more like, I'm glad it exists because I'm a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. Because what's the alternative? It, it Try to envision any other democratic alternative that would ensure that people got waves orderly. Yeah. Look, there's no, there's no other option. Yeah. You and I have espoused basically what we're talking about is a meritocracy yeah. that, that occurs naturally based on um, the amount of time that you've put in the water, which means that you've gotten good at what you do, that you're um, efficient and proficient at reading the ocean and catching the waves that come in. And that just comes with time. And as we've sort of almost beat, beat this, beat this horse down, beat this dead horse. Um, you know, there are these newcomers that we're um, just infiltrating and it's dangerous, but I do think that the waves and the situation sort of eventually works. It works out, you know? Yeah, that's. And so I agree with you. It's not altruism. That is the reason the hierarchy was formed. And it also, it probably is more selfish than anything, but it's uh, the selfishness is serving those who spend the most time and have done like, if you're there every day, you, you uh, understand the way the ocean works then of course you would feel a certain selfishness to get more of the resource than somebody who just showed up on day one. But that's also democratic, you know, by nature. And so no, there's, yeah, there's no, there's no other way to <clears throat> divvy out the resource than by that method. Yeah. And, and I will say, as I reflect on my experience at locations where I'm not a part of the hierarchy, where I am a newcomer, um, I I think those are some of my most rewarding sessions because I went out there, I knew that my spot was in the back of the line, mm -hmm. and I um, you know used my knowledge base to effectively get what was get what you know what what came to me, but not going overboard. You know, yeah. get was, you know, being number 20 or whatever it was and catching, you know, seven or eight really good waves and just knowing that I fit in with everybody and I didn't cause a problem. And, and I leave those sessions going, wow, that was a great session. I fit right in. I did my part. I didn't go over, you know, I didn't, you know, and um, I can't wait to go back tomorrow. You know, um, that's I can recall all, that. It's all related to low expectations and, you know, when you're showing up with low expectations, then you always have more fun and it over delivers on the expectations. Whereas if you show up and you're like, this is my court, I'm going to go sit out the back and get a set wave. You're almost inevitably going to be let down. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's kind of a life lesson expectations and uh, you know, it really yeah. is. Yeah, it really is. Well, what do you got for us? Well, I, we got the Pipe Masters, but I'll also, since we're talking about things I just published, I did just publish that Joel Tudor oh, yeah. uh, conversation this morning. So tell me about that. Now, I know I should listen to it. No, but, we could chat um, about it, though. Yeah, please. Um, I'd love to hear. So um, you sent me a text. You said, you know, I just had a pod with Joel. And um, 
and you said he he didn't he didn't cut any corners. He, you know, Joel doesn't do that anyway. Joel's going to kind of just lay it all out there. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. Um, did you talk about Tosh and the Pipeline Masters? A little bit. Yeah, it was actually Tosh was surfing that day. I recorded with Joel on Friday and Tosh was uh, in the water just before we started recording. So um, we did talk about that. He's really excited for Tosh about that. And interesting, Joel was supposed to go over there and commentate in the event. But due to his suspension and the WSL sanctioning of the event, he was not allowed to commentate in the booth for his son's own heat. Wow, that's pretty interesting. That's that's a that's a nugget right there because he was over there. You know, I saw I yeah. actually saw Joel on the pipe cam on Surfline, like yeah. catching waves and kicking out and stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's over there to kind of cheer on Tosh. So yeah. he flew back. He must. So did he? He probably didn't say too much about that, other than because he just probably wants to keep a low profile with the WSL and all that BS. Well, not necessarily because we talked at length about the WSL on air. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm, I don't think he's worried about keeping a low profile with them, but he was definitely excited for Tosh to be in the event and um, explained it just as, you know, this is experience in the water. Like this is an opportunity for him to go out there and get waves. And he was proud of him. He's like, he surfed really well. And I watched Tosh's heat that morning. I don't know if you saw it, but yeah. um, he got a sick wave in that oh, yeah. heat, you know? Yeah. Like, And, and frankly, but, Tosh's time in the booth was great, too. I mean, look, you know, I've seen Tosh grow up since he was whatever, one years old. And um, and Tosh is just a good, good guy. You know, he was a good kid. Now he's a good young man. And um, and he's a great surfer, you know, but I think yeah. more importantly, he um, handles himself with a little bit, uh, well, not a little bit, but with uh, the, the the moments that I've seen him in the public sphere, he's been graceful and gracious and um, and has a sense of humility that's sort of refreshing. Yeah, I agree. Whatever, um, for whatever ever rabble rousing Joel Tudor does on the internet and probably in the water as well, um, his values of respecting elders and all of that stuff you could tell he has instilled in tosh you know yeah and look, um, I, but, I surf with joel a lot joel's really mellow in the water he's he's just quiet and unassuming and and is and is kind and realizes that he's kind of in the public sphere and i you know people will come up and say hello and meet him and he's always really cool yeah he gets a lot of waves though yeah but that goes back to the hierarchy <laughs> um so he he messaged me. I'd never met him before. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he messaged me out of the blue on Instagram, basically just saying, I'm ready to break the silence about the WSL thing. It's totally like whack that it's been managed the way that it, or mismanaged the way that it's been mismanaged. And uh, I recognize that podcasts are kind of one of the last free mediums that we have. And uh, I'm going to tell my side. I was like, dude, tell me when and where I'll be there with a microphone, let you go. <laughs> and um, so he dodged two things that I walked him back to, read the direct quote and held him kind of accountable to answer. Yeah. And uh, he seemed to be politically, you know, straddling a line. And 
but acknowledged. Like I basically created a question and said affirmative or negative. And he said affirmative essentially so that he didn't have to right. use his own words to jump on the grenade, but allow me to kind of tee it up for him. What and was those, that in regards to? So the two things would have been, um, he made those Instagram posts. WSL did not suspend him due to those things. And then over the course of a few days or maybe a week or so, yeah. he then left he then left a comment in one of the threads suggesting that Jesse Miley Dyer has a special friendship relationship with one of the athletes at the time or in the past, and that that would compromise the uh, integrity. It's a conflict of interest for her in her position to have a, quote, relationship with one of the athletes. So Joel pointed that out. That is when Joel got canceled. That's when he got suspended. And so I, and the WSL's um, press release, it wasn't even a press release, but their statement about why he got suspended quoted a couple of things in the rule book, but it was left very vague. It was like, he's disparaged surfing's image is kind of what they said. And so I said, look, this is what the WSL said. What were they referring to when they made this statement? And he brings up those Instagram posts. I go, well, the timeline doesn't match because they didn't cancel you. They didn't suspend you with those Instagram posts. He goes, well, you know, it's there's some other stuff too. And I go, well, the timeline matches with this comment that you made about Jesse. And But the statement that they made is about the organization. So if the the organization, first of all, should never get their feelings hurt because it's an organization and there's no such thing as bad publicity and it all drives traffic. And if you showed up at the next event out of this, after this debacle, it would drive more traffic to that event than anything else possibly could. No amount of marketing, no amount of press could drive as much traffic as this would. But if somebody in the organization got their feelings hurt and then they made a decision because their feelings were hurt based on um, or for the organization, then that would be problematic, you know? And that looks like what it was. If you look at the timeline, and he basically said yes to that. So he got he got canceled because somebody within the organization got their feelings hurt about something he said on Instagram. That's what right. it was. Which is which was Jesse or Sue. Correct. Um, and then the other, the second thing was just about whether Vans mandated that he delete those posts. And, you know, he dodged it the first time or two and then ultimately said he was just yeah he was he was uh yes all right it was heavily and, suggested that he should delete him and um what about you mentioned that he talked about uh, his love of cannabis oh yeah it was interesting actually he uh again didn't dodge it but like i brought it up like hey what role does cannabis play in your mental health in your well-being like in your life has it helped or hindered performance and ambition and he's like you know what alcohol is so much worse for you <laughs> he does a five he does a five minute diatribe on how bad alcohol is and i'm like wait, so wait, wait. fentanyl yeah i know i was like wait and i even said on air i was like dude i'm shocked to hear you kind of on your heels defending it in relation to something that's worse than it what i about thought they yeah, I thought you were just going to come out hot and just be like, this is how it's beneficial. You know, these are the health benefits. This is how it served me well. And he didn't really do any of that. 
Um, he just basically said that it's not as bad as. He's right, by the way. I know. <laughs> but, you know. It turns out he's honest, you know yeah. what I mean? But I thought he was going to try to, like, play it like it's, uh, you know, like everybody should do it or something. Wow. And um, what else? Did he talk about the Longboard Tour, or the lack thereof, or, the sh- or what you and I consider to be less than ideal um you know venues for the longboard tour he did a little bit we did talk about that he um yeah he it wasn't so much about the venues it was just more about like equality related conversation like they should respect and treat the longboard tour seriously not just like a novelty sideshow yeah um the other interesting conversation though that we had was around board building and um him showing regret for working with surf tech in the mid 2000s but basically you know he was young he looked up to takiyama velzi they both had deals with surf tech and they were in early with surf tech where they got this really uh high commission rate for every board sold and they were able to grandfather joel into that so they basically both velzi and takiyama were like hey come on in you got to make money on this this is like a check shows up every month. We've never, we've had to work for every dollar and invest all this money. Like we don't, we spend a dollar to make two and it's tons of work with this new scenario, a check just shows up every month. You got to do it. And so of course, when those two people who you venerate are telling you to do this, you do it. And so he did it, but he realized real quickly how detrimental it was to the industry and to every you know, everybody else that he looked up to and all of his friends and everybody coming up underneath him. And so that's when he pivoted. And he was saying that Lamination San Diego, which is his glass shop that they built recently or in the last two years, um, that is an effort to correct some of the wrongs, you know, to like build it out to California's strict regulatory and EPA standards, pay everybody well, charge you know a lot for the work but also but then pay everybody really well and do phenomenal work and bring back a lot of the you know classic work resin work pin lines stuff like that that he's you know it's come back in the last yeah that, bring it back. Look, that stuff's never left i mean it's not like there were no glass shops there's been glass shops in california first a lot of that stuff had gone out of a lot of that stuff had gone out of fashion though and i don't know um, what do you mean give me an example when did um, pin lines go out of fashion? Peter St. Pierre's been doing late, pin lines for 40 years. At in, the mid, in the mid to late 2000s through 2015. And the other thing is what? Peter St. Pierre. I yeah. don't know about that. You're telling me that Absolutely. glass jobs, surfboard glass jobs with resin tint and pin lines went out of fashion? I don't think so. Well, there was always a Not segment. Not here in San Diego, the, they didn't. That's true. And there's always been a segment of the population that buys those. But there's been times where pointy thrusters with clear, you know, well, uh, laminations have been more popular than anything. But maybe. But to to your I would point, say if though, that's the case, it was more like the mid '90s. Yeah. Okay. Maybe so. But to your point, Peter Saint Pierre uh, and a handful of other people are the only remaining people that are doing it, and there aren't apprentices under them, and all that sort sort of stuff. And so that's part of the mission as well is to invest in that and create a career path for it, you know, to where you can earn a decent living doing it. 
And um, so then, of course, the conversation of, as it's related to surf tech, the conversation of Kelly came up and what he's done and invested money in and all that. And Joel just said, you know, I'm, I learned and I adjusted my business practices, but I'm shocked that some of the people, the athletes who have made the most money off surfing, uh, are operating under those same business practices and hurting a lot of the industry that supported them along the way. And who, by the way, are still working manufacturing surfboards and being hurt by that business, you know? So that was interesting. He called so he, Kelly out of that. And who else did he yeah. call anyone out? Did he call anyone else out or just Kelly? It was mainly Kelly. And then also stating about Kelly, um, posting on Instagram wearing a blue belt in jujitsu, which <laughs> Kelly never earned a blue belt. And Joel's like very adamant about like, holy cow, that was just such a slap across the face for anybody who's ever earned a blue belt. He's like, going from white to blue is is the hardest belt. Like that's harder than getting a black belt because, you know, you're, you're new. And you how just does get, he, you're, how does he know that Kelly didn't earn a blue belt? Cause he's in the space and he knows everybody in the space and he knows Kelly, he and Kelly are friends. So he knows Kelly has never earned the blue belt, but Kelly posted on Instagram wearing it. Cause he didn't want to post an Instagram wearing his white belt. And so Joel called him out on it. And he said, and Joel's right. Cause he and Kelly are friends and he talked to Kelly and Kelly never claimed to have a blue belt. He just posted. about uh, it. You know. Okay. Interesting, man. Yeah. So some juice thick. Yeah, they really are. But I mean, super entertaining, you know? Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great, so there's two really good ones. There's Lane Davey and there's Joel Tudor on Surf Splendor that you, David, did. You're killing it, dude. I got to admit, I'm like, fuck, David is killing. David, you're like the guy in the lineup. You're like, you're like I got to up my game, man. <laughs> <laughs> the conversations, these people want to talk, you know? Like, yeah. Well, there's um, a lot of podcasts. Did you just get another guy under your umbrella yeah. um tell me about him what's his name what's he do i, I don't know much about him justin jay is a photographer he's based in new york city yeah it's, interestingly he was p diddy's photographer like traveled on the road with him for years yeah. uh when p diddy was like at the height of performing and all that um <laughs> if you asked me to name a one p diddy song i would be like i have no idea i am so like out of that whole sphere you know, you know who he is, though. You know, I know I mean? which I means know who he's P. Diddy is, but I'm not sure I could pick him out of a lineup. But I know, right. I know the name P. Diddy. Yeah. Well, Justin grew up in Carpinteria and grew up surfing, and um, so he has a fondness for surfing. So he spent ten years going to the North Shore every winter, and yeah. he would shoot photos there. Oh, and cool. so I have yeah, heard so his he, name, by the way. I don't mean to say that I didn't know who he was. I, well, I, I'm just interested in learning more about him. Yeah, you can't, I wouldn't call him a surf photographer because he's never really made his living off of that, but yeah. he's documented a lot of surfing and a lot of basically North shore surfing during the winter time for yeah. 10, for 10 years. So he put out a coffee table book. We probably discussed it here like two or three years ago. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It was called, um, H I one K and, uh, it's phenomenal, you know, and like so much of John, John, and all the, all the people who we love, yeah, like yeah. seeing their intimate moments on the North shore, not really surfing imagery so much, but a lot of just yeah. behind the scenes stuff. Anyways, Justin's been recording a podcast for two years now oh, good and public, 
yeah, and publishing it on his own. And so we've been talking more and more about working together. So now I'm distributing that for him, the network's placing advertising for him and all that sort of stuff. So um, he's pretty up. connected then. I mean, he's probably already had some great guests and is going to continue to have great guests. Yeah, he's connected to the fashion uh, world, the celebrity world, the music world, all that oh, sort of okay. stuff. But so, but he does have like, surf and skate luminaries you know tony hawk paul rodriguez he just uh he had art brewer on he just released pat o'connell was his most recent episode yeah so it's good it's really good cool yeah so right. busy busy yeah goodness gracious and this is your your baby's first christmas right he was around last year but barely you uh, know he he was born in the end of october so he's like a month and a half uh, two months okay. old Right. Uh, but this is the first time he literally, like, he's giving us ho, ho, ho's whenever he sees a Santa <laughs> and That's he sees, so cool. it's the funniest thing ever. He can, he's hunting for Santa con constantly. <laughs> like we go for a walk and people have the blow up Santas in their yard, you know, and he's just like, uh, uh, like freaking out. I so don't know if you have it. this in your neighborhood, but we have these, in, we have, you know, like I can drive like a quarter of a mile away to a suburb area and it's just insane next level the whole block is like lit up with and they've got like trains that go over the street and just like there's people like serving apple cider every night <laughs> like it's next level christmas do they have that where you're at we do we yeah. absolutely do and we went to a neighborhood that's known for that where like everybody yeah. decorates yeah uh on the water with canals so you're like walking through and it's we went and did that with him uh, earlier in the week. So yeah, his mind is blown, you know, it's really <laughs> My cool. mind is blown. How do these, if you were a neighbor in that neighborhood, like you just buy a house in July and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then like October rolls around and you're like, dude, you're expected to step up your game and you got to be here each and every night. And oh, by the way, your electricity bill is going to go through the roof. <laughs> it's no joke. I mean, you honestly, the, the few houses that don't really go all out, they look like a-holes. You're like, who is this jerk? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, no, these neighborhoods that I'm talking about, it's you're either all in or you're selling your home and moving. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. But I got to say, I love it. Like, I mean, I always kind of appreciated the uh, festivity, you know, of Christmas, but seeing Austin's mind blown is so fun. Just cool. when we go downstairs in the morning and turn the Christmas tree on, he just gets the hugest smile. You know, it's like the highlight of his day. Yeah. So That's you got to cool. appreciate it. Yeah. That's cool. Real water sports, David. Time to win a surfboard. It's that time of year, you know. Um, snow bells are ringing and frost is clinging. And who knew, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year to win a friggin' surfboard from real water sports. It's the season of giving, so we just have to give one away. Right. I know um, we give one away every month. Pretty much, yeah. So real water sports, of course. By the way, them. hold yeah, on. But... I just had a thought. Okay. Next Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas, we give one board away each day. Boom, 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 boom. Who's financing this? Hell if I know, but it's a good <laughs> idea. This is a good idea. We got we to gotta think of it, think this through. Six out of your 
um, quiver, <laughs> shed, and six out of mine. Look, there's one right there. See that one right up there? <laughs> exactly. You know you can afford to drop six of those. <laughs> um, no water sports. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, they've got. So the deal is they have 1,500 boards in their inventory, and they've unlocked the code for shipping. So they're shipping boards daily to people around the world, flat rate, and shows up guaranteed to be blemish-free, so you don't have to worry about transit or anything like that. And uh, so we're partnering with them to give away a surfboard. One lucky winner that we will select on January 1st. It's New Year's Day. I might have to pick it on January 2nd. We'll see how that day goes or that night goes. Um, but we're going to pick one winner on January 1st at random from our list of supporters. So how do you support? It's five bucks a month. Uh, it's the foundation of this podcast business. You can do it on surfsplendorpodcast.com, set up that support. And any, um, you, if you already support, great, you're in it to win. If not, as long as you get that in before the end of the month, Pacific Standard Time, you will be included. We'll pick that lucky winner and then they can pick any board from realwatersports.com's inventory. Well, very good. Look, Real Water Sports, it's your time to win a board. Subscribe and be entered to win. Realwatersports.com. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's see. We've got the Vans Pipeline Masters, which frankly, I thought was pretty good. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the format. I think that's, a, and I know that the the broadcasters, the commentators talked about how much they enjoyed it too. By the way, the commentating team, I thought was really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, sort of the sincerity and the the pauses. I thought Cliff Capono was great. Salamo was awesome. Um, I, you know, I don't know where you want to start, but gosh, the format was awesome. I love the idea of, the last heat of the day could turn everything upside down. Yeah. Well, um, let's start at the beginning. Ballroom stack and Molly Picklin 
Well, let's start at the end, rather. Balaram Stack and Molly Picklum, congratulations. Uh, really did not anticipate either of them. And to be honest, have very little awareness of Molly Picklum. So this is a huge entry point for her onto the world stage. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats. <clears throat> I don't think you and I are surprised by Balaram. Um, you, right. you just said you kind of were, but I don't think you are because he's he's been a mainstay out there. Um, he's one of those guys at the beginning of the show. We talked about earning your way into the hierarchy. He's one of these yeah. guys. He's. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in his 15th year or more out there. I mean, he's been there probably since he was 13 or 14 or whatever. He's probably 30 now, maybe older. And I mean, he's just paid his dues and slowly, you know, worked his way in. So Ballroom doesn't surprise me. Um you know, it wouldn't have been who I picked, but yeah. it's not a shock because we've all seen him over the years. I mean, he's he's put out insane edits and he's been involved in the wave of the winter events or whatever these digital send in your entry type events are. He's always there. But Molly, yeah, Molly's, you know, not sure, you know, at the beginning of this event, if you asked me if she was goofy foot or regular, I wouldn't know. Right. Um yeah, Ballroom, I totally agree with everything you said. They said it on the commentary a couple of times, and I think we've even said this over the years a couple of times. He's a guy who camps out at, in Hawaii and paddles out at pipe when nobody else is out. So big, unruly days that are just, um, you know, victory at sea, basically, where there's nobody's nobody's interested in surfing because the waves aren't good enough. Even though they're not afraid that it's too big. It's just not good enough ball is bobbing around out there and uh, finding little opportunities. What ends up happening on days like that is you do a ton of duck diving and you take a ton of punishment and he's willing to do all that just to get kind of the one or two out there. And so he's surfed it in a variety of conditions. And I think all of that really service you well when you're in an event and there's shifting conditions and stuff like that. So yeah, he would not have been my pick either, but it makes perfect sense that he was the one who was the last man standing. And um, the you referenced the format of the event. So it was a leaderboard format, meaning there was no eliminations and everybody surfed, I think, two heats. I originally thought it was going to be everybody surfed three heats, but it was just everybody surfing well, two It heats. was three, but the forecast made them pare it down. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, and your top two scores from both heats, from either heat or all the heats, end up going into your leaderboard ranking. And so uh, four people then have entry into the finals. All of those leaderboard scores go away, and it's simply one heat at the end of the event. You said you liked it. I'm okay with it, but it reminded me a bit of the finals day format that the WSL has had the last two seasons, where, you know, Carissa Moore was clearly the winner of the season. And yet because of a poor performance on the final day, Stephanie Gilmore won the world title. I was concerned about that happening in this event. And it kind of, to a certain degree, happened with Carissa. Carissa, again, interestingly, Carissa was the informed female surfer of the event. She got arguably the best wave any female surfers ever gotten at backdoor um legitimately sick backdoor wave and so those are the the highlights that you're going to remember of the females throughout the event and it's just a shame that she ends up not winning the event she lost 
due to an interference essentially in the final, but um, you know what I mean? Like carrying that momentum through to the final, I would think, or, or I think the solution would be it's a one-on-one final, like the leaderboard format I think is great, but only two people should then be in the final because uh, unless the waves are pumping, there's not enough waves for four people. Basically there's, you know, three sets, let's say with two waves each, which equals six waves, but there's four people who need, need two rides each. So there's six waves on offer for a total of needed eight waves. It's just not enough. And there's a opportunity for, you know, I know it's not supposed to be quote fair, but there is opportunity for something very unfair to happen. Whereas if it was the leaderboard format and only the final two made it into the finals, you could still give third place, the third place amount of money and fourth place, the fourth place amount of money. They just don't get a surf in the final. And then if it's just one and one-on-one, there's a lot more opportunity to really see who the best surfer is at the event. Yeah, that, that might be a great, you know, way to solve this conundrum. I will say that um, whether you're a fan of this format or a fan of the sort of the more traditional format, uh, you're going to be able to find fault with each. You know, there's no real perfect one. Um, So I guess maybe this was refreshing in that it was sort of the backdoor shootout, but with let's start from scratch for the final. Um, So I don't know. but Ballroom, on the other hand, showed up at the final. Yeah. And did exactly what he did through the leaderboard rankings, too, you know? And he did it towards the sort of the middle back half of the final, too. Yeah. Like he wasn't, um, I think his what's the Hawaiian's name? Kalana Apau? Apu Apau? Yeah. Um, he really had everyone's hearts. Like, everyone was kind of like, oh, that would be really cool if a full, full-blooded Hawaiian won. Yeah. Um, and he started off strong in the final, but uh, Ballerum kind of t- turned the tables. Yeah. So in the men's final, it was Ballerum in first, uh, Griffin Colapinto in second. Also would not have picked that. Uh, Kaulana Apo on, in third and Joao Chianca in fourth. On the women's side, it was Molly Picklam in first, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson in second, Caitlin Simmers in third, and then Carissa Moore with that interference in fourth. Um, I really felt like the women were almost the main storyline of this event because they really stepped up and surfed better than we've seen the CT female surfer surf. Uh, you know, and they haven't, the CT females have not had a lot of opportunities out there. They had one event this past year and a specialty event prior. So they haven't had a ton of opportunity, but neither of these girls and these girls within the first two heats you know, all of them, essentially, not just one or two, but all of them fully were charging, fully were actually making barrels, making crazy drops, making crazy barrels. And it was really like uh, you watch them go toe to toe and just kind of out edge one another. It was really cool. Yeah, no, it, it was pretty fascinating. Of course, Sierra Kerr got that incredible wave that were in the semifinals or in the last heat, I should say, where, um, you know, she was making her way moving forward to the final, but there was an interference, which was unfortunate. That was a pretty mind-blowing deep backdoor wave. Um, so yeah, you're right. All the girls stepped up. You know, the, the second round, the second day, I guess you would say, was obviously much smaller and a little more tame and manageable. But um, 
look, the girls were sent out in the big stuff for round one for most yeah. of the girls in round one. And it was pretty fascinating. Absolutely. I will say this though. Um, you mentioned the men's final. Um, oh, by the way, I was one thing about the women. I was impressed by Moana's backside. I wasn't oh, sure yeah. that she was going to be able, I figured she was just going to be going at the pipe left, the, the true pipeline left and her backside surfing at back door was solid. Um, but my, my interest, I don't know. Let me ask you this. My takeaway from the men's final is that Jiao Chianka is a total dick. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of my takeaway. He well, just seemed like, he just seemed like, um, I don't know. It just seemed like he was ruffling Griff's feathers. He was ruffling other people's feathers. Like he maybe wasn't taking the whole like Aloha sportsmanship thing to heart. And, um, and I think it came back to bite him a little bit. Yeah, it did. And it's interesting that level of aggression that he was paddling with, he was literally paddling into and over people. Yeah. So making full contact, blocking their path, getting in there, you know, whatever, all of it, total, total dick move. But we've seen Gabriel Medina employ those exact same tactics. The difference is Gabriel wins the heat. And so we find ourselves as the viewers going, well, how do you really criticize him? Because ultimately this is a competition and he's going to do whatever it takes to win. If you are, if you're that aggressive and you end up fourth place in the heat, then you just look like a dick. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's no reason to do it at that point. If you do it and it works and you win, great. If you do it and you lose, you just look like a dick. So I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think part of it is that there was no interference rule. There was no priority rule. Well, there was interference, but there was no priority rule. So on top of that was that, Hey, let's just be good sports here, but Correct. we're going to leave it wide open. If you're deepest, it's your turn. And he was, pushing that to the limit. So I think that's where, um, you know, some of this sort of bad taste in our mouths comes from. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is it didn't work in ruffling anybody's feathers. Like Griff smoked him in that heat, you know, and he was, it seemed like he was doing it specifically to Griff. Um, Ballerum stuck to his own game plan to beat them all smiling the whole way. And so, yeah, it's like it I needs just wonder to be effective. Do you think that that's going to come back to haunt Joel? No. Um, like, do you think that he, first of all, he probably doesn't give a shit because based on his behavior out there, he didn't give a shit. You know, and I just wonder if his fellow competitors on the CT all saw what we saw and were like, I mean, frankly, I think last season he was pretty aggressive too. I mean, it's not that he was out of character. It's just that he didn't, he had an opportunity to sort of adapt to what he was given in the Vans Pipeline Masters. And he, he was just himself, I guess. I, I think that's his true nature is just to be like scrappy and like, dude, I'm in a contest. I got a Jersey on, get the hell out of my way. Yeah, I don't think uh, that it's going to come back to bite him at all. I think the tour is cutthroat. Those waves were also really, really, um, you know, you had to be cutthroat out there to a degree if you wanted to get your share. There weren't a lot of opportunities in that final. And so if it was big and plenty of surf, he might not have employed those tactics. But 
he he felt like he needed to. And I think that those tactics actually work well on tour. And Gabriel's proven that. And so he's taken a page out of that book. And it is what it is. You know, like, I don't think he needs to be loved by everyone. He's just going to go out and try to win heats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of priority and or interference, though, it was interesting the way that you're talking about with Sierra Kerr. Um, she got an interference on. It was an epic ride. Would have been a huge score. But she got an interference on it because she, Pua de Soto, took off deeper and first. And there's no priority. However, anybody watching that wave would tell you Pua was way too deep and never going to make that wave. Pua herself probably would have said, I was way too deep. I never would have made that wave. Therefore, it's not a burn. You know, like if that happened in real life, Sierra would have been given a pass. She's allowed to go because Pua is not going to make the wave. So it's interesting that in the contest format, she got an interference. Yeah, it's just, it was pretty close. I mean, I agree with you. I'm telling, you know, nine times out of 10, that girl's not going to make that wave. What was her name? Pua? Pua DeSoto, Dwayne DeSoto's daughter. Oh, shit. Yeah. We don't want to mess. First of all, any DeSoto paddling into any wave, just let them go. Don't you not get in their <laughs> way. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I don't think she was going to make it. But you, like I said, in the you know you got a jersey on, you really kind of got to look both ways and, and pull back. And it's unfortunate because it was a deep, you know, it was a great ride by Sierra. But uh, I don't know, man. It was just well, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you don't go, she's not going to make it. If you do go, yeah. you get an interference. Yeah. Well. One of the storylines, I got a couple of these, but one of the main storylines that we were tracking prior to the event was the emphasis on scoring aerial surfing. That did not come into conversation at all throughout the event. No, no, it didn't. And I don't know. I mean, I just think it's like we said, you know, weeks ago, this is square peg round hole syndrome. It's pipeline. We're here to get tubed. If you want to see aerials, go down to gums, go wherever. We can do that later, but it's not to say that in two, in a month and a half at the Billabong Pro Pipe, somebody gets a killer barrel and Griff does and lands that backside rotation, he's probably going to get scored a little higher, you know. But were, that that's the thing is, for all of the um, discussion that was had prior to the event, they always would have done that anyways. Griff next month at the Pipe Masters or the pipe pro the billabong pipe pro if he gets an air section at the end of the barrel he would have gone for the air then no matter what stab did with this event or vans yeah. did with this event yeah. so uh it was a square peg in the round hole it just uh it was a miss it was it was a silly ambition to set out in the first place and the interesting thing was the waves weren't even big barrel, big barreling pipe like it seems like you know, this would have been an opportunity if airs were really incentivized. This would have been an opportunity. The forecast and the uh, conditions and all that would have presented opportunities to do airs. But it's just they're few and far between, no matter yeah. what. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Not a not a good call. And and the lack. Of, you know, the silence was deafening. You know, yeah. regarding discussion of that stuff. Totally. Um, the other conversation that we were tracking was about the blow-ins. 
you know, Vans and Stab inviting Craig Anderson, um, Rasta Rob, Michael February, guys like that. What uh, Al Cleland Jr. What are your thoughts on those guys and their performances? Well, I think as is the case with most contests, as far as my personal preference, you can get rid of the bottom half of the field and I won't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather just see the top 10 pipe surfers in the world surfing multiple heats against each other multiple times. You know what I mean? Like, just imagine, I don't know, take the top 12 pipe surfers and give them two days of competition and you just watch those guys go for two days. That would be sick. Yeah. It'd be insane. And uh, I will say Mikey February, I thought surfed well. I didn't see Rasta Rob's heat. I didn't see Craig Anderson's heat, but um, I didn't see Alan Cleland Jr.'s heat. But, um, you know, I just, I think, again, as an end user consumer, I want to see the best in the world. And I know those all those guys we just mentioned are great surfers and I'm big fans, a big fan of theirs. But I mean, you and I could pick 12 of the top pipe surfers in the world and watch them for two days going at it and seeing what the final heat tally is, you know, like that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, it would be the most interesting. In fact, uh, there were moments, you know, Aton Osborne got an insane backdoor wave. That was exciting. Mike February got one or two that were really cool. Uh, Mikey Wright got a crazy right that was just unruly and he surfed it flawlessly but for those few individual highlights not nearly enough to incorporate you know 12 surfers into the event just to have three or four individual highlights if it was the scenario that you said where it's the 12 best surfers in the world for two or day three days straight you'd have infinitely more highlights so yes there was a level of excitement individual punctuations throughout but not enough to justify the inclusion um and uh with that in mind you and i were texting on day one or two of the event and i said you know it's just not the same without the best surfers in the world here like yeah we all want to watch pipe and the fact that there's a pipe event on draws our attention we give it our ten but it's not the same it doesn't have the same gravity as when John John's out there and it's hard to even compare Ballerum stack to Gabriel Medina or Idolo or Kelly, you know, because you need that comparison. You need them in the water at the same time. And yeah. so I, I felt like it was a little let down. I totally agree. And I, I might've sent this to you, but somebody sent it to me as well, which was, you know, congrats to Ballerum and to Molly, but specifically for the men, it's, it's the van's, pipe you know asterisk masters you know there's definitely an asterisk 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 um at least in the minds of you know the hardcore end user consumers like us who have seen years and years and years of pipe events and um again i'm not here to take away from what those guys did because it was a fun event and i'm stoked that all of them won 100 grand or whatever it was um but you got to ask and, yourself, which of those four guys would be in the finals, uh, you know, if the top surfers in the world were in this event? Yeah. And we don't know the answer, but we would love, we would love to know that answer ultimately, you know, and you're right. You can't take anything away from him because he earned it. Like 
he earned it in that format, in that event for what it was. So yeah, it's epic that he did it, but we will remember that it wasn't, you know, the best surfers in the world weren't there in the event. It'd be cool if somehow he got a wild card into the Billabong Pipe Pro, you know, something, something like that would be kind of cool again. Cause I don't, I don't want to come on here and, and just no. poo He was great and it was fun, but it's not I even mean, about I him. would tell you that I'm sure the baller would feel the same way if he was like, dude, I wish they were in it too. You know, how, how, yeah, how great would my victory be if I had beaten John, John and Kelly and Needlo and Gabe, you know, and he yeah. did obviously take down some of the greatest surfers. There's just, you know, there's a lack of competitive prowess, I think, amongst some of these guys. Yeah, they're pipe specialists, but I mean, you know, when you look at it, you go, when was the last time any of these guys were ever in a final? You know, Jamie, yeah. for sure. Um, Mason Ho, I don't know, has Mason Ho ever been in a final at an event? Maybe uh, like the Dahui. At, huh? He, he's made the Dahui backdoor shootout. Yeah. So again, I'm sure that we could find... Um, find some, you know, times when, when these guys were, you know, competitively aware. I don't know. What, what did, what did you feel about Jamie O'Brien riding a soft top in his heat? I, I don't know what to think about that. I, 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 I was kind of like good for him. That's, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's a savvy move from a marketing standpoint for Jamie. He's got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And, and catch surf his sponsor that makes those soft tops, you know, good for them. Um, I, I sense that, and Jamie talked about it. I don't know if you heard him talking about it, but he was basically saying, look, if it was real eight foot, 12 foot pipe, and I needed my little Takora blade to just knife through everything, but it was that kind of smaller day. And, I think he was kind of going, we wouldn't even be having this event if it wasn't the last couple of days of the waiting period. I mean, this isn't really real pipe. So I'm just going to go out there on not a real pipe board. Yeah. But, but I didn't I, have a feeling one way or the other. I kind of got it. I was kind of like, all right, you know, it does kind of, if you're an event producer and a promoter, you're kind of going, ah, oh, dude, you're not taking my event, you know, seriously. And it, it's kind of looks bad in that regard. Uh, yeah, I think he prioritized his vlog over the event at that point, you know, and it was his second heat and he knew his point totals weren't enough to get him into the running for the final. So he just prioritized his vlog and the entertainment value. But what was interesting to me is that board had value, <laughs> like, like <laughs> in those conditions where it didn't require the, t- the Takoro that you're talking about, he was able to sit deeper. He was able to kind of sit in a position and get a a type of wave that nobody else would be able to get. And if that wave came through, he could have got a 10 on it on that yeah. board. Yeah. And the way, the way, the wave that he did get, or the couple that he got, he surfed them flawlessly on that thing. Like he can pig dog into a slinky kind of yoga stance and get fully barreled out there. So if he's can get in early on that wave, that's bigger than where everybody else what anybody else would get. Cause he's able to sit deeper and all that and get position on it. He can get the 10 point ride. Yeah, no, look, he's one of the best surfers in the world. There's no doubt he can ride anything out there and probably pull it off. And he's put in enough time on that soft top to, to be able to be comfortable with it in any of those conditions. And um, 
it's kind of neat. Again, it's kind of neat to watch, you know, the fins release and him engage his rail and make it over bumps and stuff. Um, you know, I'm at that point, you know, I was kind of like, I kind of get it. I don't think he felt like he was going to be able to advance. And so he was just going to go put on a show. He's kind of being a showman, which is, yeah, as an end user, that's kind of what we want. We want to see a show. So, and that's what he does. Um, and speaking of boards, interestingly, Ballroom Stack won the event riding a Kaimana Henry surfboard, which I didn't even know Kaimana shaped or built boards. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool, right? That, that an Super underground cool. guy, legend, kind of a, a guy who's known as a red hot surfer in his own right, um, is just sort of in the backyard making boards. That know, I'm sure everyone in the North Shore knows that he's been making boards for a long time. It kind of reminds me of like Noah Budrow or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was totally unaware of that and uh, thought it was super cool and phenomenal that ball won riding those, that board. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Um, and my final thought is on the commentary, which you brought up earlier, the highlight out of the team, in addition to everything you just, you just said was Mahina Florence. So Mahina Florence is Nathan Florence's wife she was doing the beach commentary and she'd get in the booth occasionally, but largely doing the beach commentary. She was phenomenal. Yeah. She was extremely professional, you know, like there was no um, sort of awkward. What do I do now? Dead space. Oh my God. You know, it was just, um, it was just, it seemed like somebody that had the utmost confidence and, and a real sense of um, <clears throat> command of the of the moment. Completely. I mean, she's grown up on the North Shore. She's married to Nathan Florence. So she understands surfing in a very, very detailed way. And so and but then she's articulate. She's clearly bright. She's clearly smart, all that. And so uh, she could she, she could be hired for any event throughout the rest of the season and the tour and all that sort of stuff. I thought she was a great addition. Um, I thought Cliff Capono was also really great in the booth with his, you know, science background, Dr. Cliff and Makua Kai Rothman is somebody who I think has made huge strides in the booth. I thought he was phenomenal and I didn't always used to think he was phenomenal. I thought in the past he has provided a cultural context that was important, but he would, you know, get stuck on, get stuck, I don't know, saying something poignant at the right time or whatever it was, or even fumble through trying to find the right words. In this event, he was sharp, he was articulate, he was quick and added all that, you know, cultural context that he's always been great at. Yeah. I think um, if the WSL could add Mahina and Salama, they'd be doing us all a big favor not to take anything away from Cliff or Makua, but those two that I mentioned at the beginning here uh, could easily move from where they're at now to the WSL and frankly over to Olympic broadcasting or any other sport for that matter. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Salema would take the job. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I've talked to him about that exact thing. Yeah. And he's He's like, well, they would have to work out some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What? Tell me more. Sounds like you're leaving me hanging. What do, what do they have to work out? Um, 
I think he's used to a certain level of professionalism and being able to plan out your year and all that sort of stuff as the commentator uh, that they simply don't provide. Right. Okay. Understood. Um, but that was the highlight in surf news this past week. Um, my must see moment, which is something that I saw months ago, but it was unavailable publicly until just now is Jack Coleman's most recent film called natural high, which is available on stabmag.com. Yeah. I watched it. I watched it. It was good. It was really good. I love Jack. Jack's a good guy. I'm a big fan of his, um, some ripping on some, you know, interesting boards. I thought the guy that was surfing finless sort of at the beginning. Yeah. Crookie. That might've been the, the most fascinating part of the, of the clip. He's amazing. He's a great surfer and he, he makes you want to go try that thing out. You know, you're like, God, man, talk about footloose and fancy free, man. Uh, Ari, what's his name? Ari. Ari, wow. maybe that's his name. Yeah. His, his name is Ari. I just cannot remember his last name, but his Instagram handle is crookie. Try to look him up as pos, as fast as possible. He's amazing. Ari he, Brown. Ari Brown. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, great um, footage of him absolutely ripping. I don't know where they were. It looked like they were in the Indo or some, or like a Karamas or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I love Jack. I love his films. I love his aesthetic. I love his music selection. The music actually was insane. The music might have been the best part. He's the music incredible. Was really man. good. Yeah. And Jack, I don't know if you remember, but mid 2000s, he was sponsored by Volcom, Goofy Foot Shortboard Shredder. Yeah. Yeah. I've known Jack for a while. I mean, he's from down here, isn't he? Apparently, yeah. You mentioned yeah. that a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I, "You said he loves golf," and I'm like, "I don't think we're talking about the same guy." But apparently, I didn't know he loves golf. Yeah, I I see pictures of him on the golf course, on his Insta, gotcha. and you know he comes to the boardroom and stuff, and he's it's just a cool cool video, cool cool clip, you know. Yeah. One minor little thing that that I guess. When they mentioned the pickle fork and they didn't, it was, I was a little disappointed that they didn't bring up Jeff Alexander on some level somewhere, but um, what are you going to do? Bring him up now. Well, I mean, it's my understanding that Jeff Alexander was the first guy to do that sort of pickle fork design. And I'm, I've been friends with Jeff since for probably 40 years. I've known Jeff since, you know, 1977 or whatever. And um, he was an incredible shaper back then. And he, you know, I think I want to say like maybe the mid late eighties, he made these Gemini boards that we called pickle forks they had two noses and he scooped out the bottom of the, between the two noses to allow for lift. And, um, and he wrote them for years. He wrote them over there. He lived on the North shore for a long time. He, then he moved to, I think to Bali or somewhere in Indo and, and, I don't know. Again, maybe that's silly of me to say, hey, you should have mentioned Jeff Alexander, because that'd be like saying every time somebody talks about a trifin, they have to mention Simon Anderson. It's just doesn't make sense. It's just, yeah, there's no need to do that. But I guess because I have a place in my heart for Jeff, because I was a little Grom when he was, you know, five years older than me. And I just looked up to him. And so I was like, uh, would have been cool if they just gave a simple little nod to Jeff, who, who really pioneered that design. I mean, it's not like you know, it's a pretty rare design. 
you know, and so because it's rare and because it's unique, it would have been cool to kind of, and Jeff, believe me, is a rare and unique guy. He's an interesting, uh, he's got an interesting sort of aesthetic and take on life. Boardroom podcast guest, 2023. <laughs> he would be, he would, he would bring the heat, believe me. He's got some opinions. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's actually a good one. You're right. We'll do that. Good. Put him on my list. Um, All right. Well, hey, Merry Christmas, dude. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Um, my, uh, by the way, I have a musty moment. Zeke and Destroy on Stab. Uh, Jacob Sikelski. Zeke. Zeke. <laughs> he is a piece of work, man. And, uh, you know, if you want to get your, Zeke's the kind of guy that, Back in the early 80s, he would have been, the, we'd be like, hey, who invented the phrase, yeah, I got? It would have been Zeke. <laughs> I haven't seen Zeke and Destroy. Uh, it just came out on staff. It's pretty cool. Is it? I mean, it's it's a whole lot of Zeke. Let me just say that. Just Is it get a surf ready. edit? It's a whole lot of Zeke. Okay. What? Is it a surf edit or like a jackass video? No, it's a surf edit with skating and just him going to Mexico and Indo and Hawaii and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Surfing in La Jolla and stuff and. It's just, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's fun. It's, it's fun. It kind of has a, like a, a lost video vibe from the nineties, you know? Yeah. Kind of a little punk rocky. I'll check it out. Yeah. He surfs really good. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to deny that. I hate that actually. Cause I see him being a jerk and I'm like, God, but then he shreds and I'm like, God, I have to pay attention now. I think he, I think he's a pretty nice kid. I think he means well. And I know well, I that, think he's, I think he's calmed down. Right. Is what I, it is. Yeah. I think that too. And you know, he, he rubs some people the wrong way, but I think that I think as with anything in life, like when somebody rubs me the wrong way, I need to kind of turn it around and, and instead of prosecuting that guy, I need to turn it around and become the defense attorney and kind of look at my own part in it, you know? Yeah. Good. Anyway. Good policy. Yeah, man. All right. Well, look, David, it's been an afternoon show. We're a little flat. We apologize. We're going to come back with coffee and morning spit next week. Until next time, adios and aloha. Outside a department store, a gang of kids came over and mugged me and knocked my reindeer to the floor. They said, Father Christmas, give us some money. Don't mess around with those silly toys. We'll beat you up if you don't hand it over. We want your bread, so don't make us annoyed. Give all the toys to the little rich boy.
time But remember the kids who got nothing While you're drinking down your wine Please hand it over We'll beat you up So don't make it 